0: We're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in.
1: We are in this series called The Last Week, and uh, today's sermon is called Just One Invitation. We're taking a day-by-day look at the very last week of, of Christ's life. Before his death, burial, and resurrection. And today we're going to take a look at the Thursday. So we started with Sunday. Last week we were on Wednesday. So intentional with this, this week. He really ramps up the, the level of intentionality. And I, and I picture Michelangelo with David. You know, that he, it starts off with this big square block of rock and he chisels away. And I don't know how Michelangelo could just see that 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 sculpture, the finished product before he ever started, but he but he could. And I love that about artists. Jesus does the same thing. He knows exactly what needs to happen. He need he knows what he needs to say. He knows where he needs to be. He lives extremely intentional during this last week. And we should pay attention to every word and every action, because it matters. It matters. Even uh, this painting here, Leonardo da Vinci. This was a Renaissance piece, right? Late 1400s, almost, almost the 1500s. Beautiful, beautiful piece of art. Not very accurate historically, but it's beautiful. Um, and then here's the uh, 20. 20, 2021 COVID Zoom version. This is how. Do you guys remember doing uh, doing your Seder meal last year like this? That was fun. Um, not not accurate either. Um, we're going to talk about why. Why do we believe that that Leonardo da Vinci uh, painting is not accurate? During footnotes and and what what we believe was a more accurate picture. We'll actually have some pictures for you um, on our footnotes podcast this week. And then I wanna take a look at this picture real quick. We'll talk more about this in footnotes, but the Gentiles have their calendar. The Hebrews have their calendar. They're out of sync a little bit. We have to understand that. We have to understand how that, that timing plays. In our day starts in the morning, right? When the sun rises, their day starts the night before when the sun sets. So our clocks are out of sync a little bit. And then we have to ask the question, why are they having the last supper, their, their Passover meal before Passover, which is really on Saturday on our calendar, which show up on Friday night, Again, we'll talk about that in footnotes. We just want to give a little teaser there, maybe get a few more listens this week. (laughs) But Jesus is living super intentionally. And it just makes me wonder about our intentionality, our tendency to finish well. Do you have a tendency to finish well? Finish well on your project, school project, right? Finish well with, with your career. Finish well with the, the place you're working at now, even though you're gonna work someplace else next week. Finish well in life as a husband or a father or a wife or a mother or just as a human being. Do you have a tendency to finish well? And if you don't, why? What gets in the way of that? Because if Jesus had a reason to not finish well, this story, this week's story, has all kinds of reasons for him not to finish well. I think it's a human tendency where we let other people's character... Their, their character level influence ours and maybe even bring it down a notch or two. Have you ever walked into, I don't know, business and, and you're like, you're, you're up here, like your character level, you're, you're a strong eight, maybe a strong nine character level and the person cross the counter, they treat you in such a way that it just happens to bring your level of character down just a little bit to five. Maybe three. Just their response, and and all of a sudden, you were walking on water with Jesus, and now you're you're down in the, in a the, in the muck with the person. You're you're ready to throw fists or something. Or maybe you had that teacher that, you know, you just didn't respect, and so you didn't give them your best. Or that boss. That you couldn't respect. And so you didn't give them your best. Or that neighbor. Like your great neighbor. And tell Frank that neighbor moves in. And then your ability to finish well is diminished because of that person you're dealing with. Are you catching what I'm throwing out this morning. Is this resonating with you guys at all? It's hard to tell with the masks on. <laughs> Let's get into the story. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart from this world and to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them, to the end, that word is that Greek word that we keep coming back to. Oh, now I lost it. Um, telios, which is like a telescope. He loved them to the full extent. He loved them to the very end, but but also to the to the very. To the fullest extent, to maturity is, is another way that word is, is used. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the father had handed all things over to him and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside. And he took a towel and tied it around himself then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. Jesus, knowing, having this deep connection with the Father, knowing how much the Father loved him, puts a towel around his waist to wash the feet of the disciples. How connected are you to your God-given purpose? Have you taken time to consider what God has for you? Are you aware? Do you, have a, do, you have a, do you have your purpose statement, your God-given purpose statement, written out? And how grounded are you in your eternal relationship with God? Because this is significant. What Jesus is doing here... Significant and how does your relationship with God change who, when, why, and how you serve? How does that relationship, since you've come to Christ, is it different? Do you serve differently? Do you serve more readily? Has it changed the kind of people you're willing to serve? Does it, or does it even matter? Apostle Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We should walk in a way that's worthy of that relationship that we have with Christ. In John 13, 6 through 11, there's a section that we're not going to look at today. We will look at it during footnotes, but but uh, Peter has this exchange with Jesus when Peter, when Jesus comes to wash Peter's feet. M- my belief is that Peter was the one that was supposed to be washing the feet, which is why he had such a, such a response towards Jesus. But we'll talk about that in footnotes. It's just a theory. It doesn't change much in life. Um but we'll talk about that in footnotes. And then continuing in verse 12, then when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and climbed at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and you're correct for so I am. So if I, the Lord and teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. And then a little later, we see that... uh, in verse 27, after that, the morse, after the morsel, Satan then entered into Judas. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. And then in verse 37, 38, Jesus answered, Peter, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Jesus isn't just washing the feet of the people that... He's been, he spent three years with, has developed a relationship with, and he's just a little bit higher in rank than they are. Jesus washes the feet as a son of the living God, and he washes the feet of those who would deny him and betray him. those who would deny him and betray him. Jesus knows exactly what Peter's going to do. Jesus knows exactly what Judas is going to do. He has full knowledge of what they're going to do. And he washes their feet. I believe Jesus started with Judas and ended With Peter. He starts with the man that will betray him, he ends with the man that will deny him. Again, we'll talk about how I got get to that conclusion in footnotes, because it's not the most important part, not not when he chooses to wash their feet, but just that he chose to wash their feet. When someone is actively choosing to be rebellious towards you, how does that change the way you choose to serve them? Does that impact your response? Or like Jesus, do you choose to wash your feet anyway? when someone actively goes against your belief system, when someone chooses to sell you out, are you willing to serve them the same way you would have served them if you didn't have that knowledge? Or does it change your response? Does it change your reaction? Because Jesus is going to make a big deal to his disciples, to the, to the other 10, that he knows whose feet he's washing. He makes a big deal. He, he wants his disciples to look back on this moment and remember that he wasn't just washing their feet because they weren't denying him. They weren't betraying him. He wanted them to know that he was washing everybody's feet and that they should do the exact same thing. And I struggle with this. This challenges me. This is one of those sermons you kind of hope you don't have to come to and actually give. Give. In Bible school, we always, wanted, we always wanted Christ to return right before the finals. There's some sermons that as a pastor, you just kind of want God to come back. You want Christ to come back right before you have to give the sermon. Like, I don't mind writing it, but talking about it and actually saying it, that's painful. And it's not just when we know someone is betraying us. Or denying us, it's just—it's when we suspect. Jesus knows what Peter and Judas will do, and he washes anyway. We assume we know, and we refuse to wash. There's this idea that was presented uh, to us uh, when we were in Moscow, Idaho, uh, about taking someone to court in our minds. Have you ever taken someone to court in your mind? And and the way that plays out is is you think you're in conflict with somebody. You're not totally sure. They had a look on their face. They responded to what you said or did, but you haven't talked about it yet. And so you go to court in your mind, and you defend yourself and all these different things that they could or couldn't say or might or might do in response to what you think they think about you and you you have this little court battle in your mind, and you always win, of course, right? Have you ever done this? In this process, we inflate other people's faults, and we inflate our virtue. We inflate other people's faults, and we diminish our own. Or if, or if we recognize our faults, it's because there's a reason. If they only understood this about me, then they would know. Maybe they'd have some sympathy, some empathy, if they just understood my, my history or what was going on in my day, what happened on reserve as I was driving down the street. And then have you ever wrongly taken someone to court? Like you saw the look, you knew exactly what they were thinking. You take them to court in your mind, and later you find out that there was something else that they were dealing with. I've done that. I've had to completely back out of that conversation in my brain and go, well, I guess they're not as bad as what I thought. (laughs) All those things I said about them in my heart. Jesus, as the Son of God, knows. He's not guessing. He knows. We assume we know. And we don't act like the Son of God. And sometimes we're right in our assumptions. Too often we're not, right? The implication is this. Until we are washing the feet of our Judases and our Peters out of love, we have more work to do. When I see this in my own life, I know that God has more work to do in my heart. When I see this in my own life, when I recognize that I was not willing to serve them, I wasn't willing to act like my Savior. I wasn't willing to live out what I see in Christ. I know that God has more work to do in my own heart. And the place I fail at this the most is my home. How about you? Where do you see that you still have work to do? Who's the person? What's the situation? Where you're like, I can't. Jesus, I can't serve them. I can't do that. I can't get on my knees and wash their feet. So some next steps for you. Stop taking people to court in your mind. I, when I heard about this, I, I had such an automatic response of taking people to court. I still catch myself doing it from time to time. like, stop that. Until they, What I've learned is until they actually say, Rob, you're a screw up, I don't believe that they think it about me. Because I am not a prophet. And all I have to do is be wrong once as a prophet, right? You guys do know that as prophets, that if you're wrong once, you get stoned. So until God makes you a prophet, you don't get to assume what you know, that you know what the other person's thinking. Stop taking people to court in your mind. It will save you all kinds of angst And he'll give you the ability to respond to that person in better ways. Stop taking the court. Refuse to inflate other people's faults. Refuse to focus on, on the mistakes of other people. If anybody could do that, that was Jesus, right? I mean, he knew. He knew and he went to the cross. And we're grateful for that act for us, but sometimes we don't think that that act is enough sufficient for other people in our lives. And it's just not true. And refuse to deflect blame. I need to own my mistakes before you come and tell me about them. You need to own your mistakes before someone comes and tells you about. how much better would our families, would our homes be, and our churches be if as Christians we did that on a consistent basis where we where we dealt with the log in our own eye? Because Christ just wants us to get rid of it. He doesn't He doesn't want to blame us, He doesn't want to punish us. He will teach us, but that's not a desire for us. Stop taking people to court in your mind. And then, tend to your heart. Tend to your heart. We respond to situations based off of the wounds of our heart, and we don't ever deal with those wounds. We carry wounds in our heart and we respond to situations today like, a, like, here's a little event today. And we respond like it's this big because we're not responding today. We're responding to something that happened in the past. Anytime you're in a flight, fight, or freeze mode, you're not really responding today. That's your emotional memory. That's your limbic system taking over. And your limbic system says you are not safe doesn't mean you're not safe, it's just your limbic system saying you are not safe. And until you deal with those wounds, you're gonna respond in a fight, flight, or freeze mode. And you've probably seen it in yourself where you're going like, I have no idea why I responded like that. What just happened? If you see yourself doing those kinds of things where you have this automatic response to where later you think about it and go, man, I wouldn't have done that like that if I had time to think about it. If you have this automatic response and you just respond, I'll fight or freeze, you need to tend to your heart. Sometimes we need Counseling. Sometimes we need a counselor to help work through that. God has given us some amazing counselors. They what counselors know today versus 20 years ago. It's amazing how much we've gained. And there's some, you know, there's there's some church cultures that say we don't do counseling around here because we got it all figured out. That's not Mission Ridge. We're roughly right. You guys know that. I know, I know of, a, of a friend that uh, her brother-in-law went to his pastor. He was on staff at a church. He goes to his pastor and says, my wife and I, are we've hit a rough patch. We need some counseling. He says, oh, you can't cancel here. He goes, well, do you know somebody in town I could counsel with? And he said, no, you can't counsel in this town. He goes, well, what do you want me to do? He goes, you need to go a couple towns over and find a counselor so no one here finds out. We are not going to be that kind of a church. We're going to tend to our hearts. We're going to invite in counselors so that we're not responding out of that fight, flight, or freeze mode and blowing up relationships because of it. We have to tend to our hearts. And maybe you've had some counseling, and, and maybe you just need to take some time to really slow down and reflect on those moments and pray through it. And I, I have a tendency to review my the day before every morning. I read a number of scriptures, the Ephesians 4 that we read. That's one of them. God, how was I not humble yesterday? How was I not gentle yesterday? How was I not tolerant yesterday? Because sometimes we just, we get going down the road of life and we just kind of mindlessly go and we don't slow down enough to review how we're doing. What changes do I need to make? Where do I need to Make some improvements. What, what kind of patterns have I just kind of slipped into that I haven't even thought about? We've got to tend to our heart, guys. Number three, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Jesus, lived this out. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. In Matthew 5, it says, you have heard this, that was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was their religious view. That was being shared by religious leaders. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. If you go back and look at Leviticus 19, they misquote the scripture. They, and they completely miss the part where it says, I am the Lord. Don't misquote scripture. It's dangerous. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Who wants to be that person? Like a son of the living God. By the way, I love my enemies. I personally don't have any enemies. I am, no one is my enemy. I may be someone else's enemy and I I wish I wasn't true, but there's some people that don't like me. I've hung out with myself for 50 years, I get that. (laughs) But as far as it depends on me, I have no enemies because my God doesn't allow me to. They may find me an enemy, but I don't find them as an enemy. I pray for them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Every relationship that I found that I was there was tension in, and I've prayed that God would bless them, God has completely redeemed 100%. Not usually immediately. Usually there was a long season. But I prayed for so many relationships where the person was mad at me. They were angry. They were frustrated. They were something. And I prayed for them and it changed it every time. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. We should be known as people that blesses those who curse us. We should be known for praying for people that persecute us. That God would work in their lives and do a miracle and completely change their circumstances. That's the kind of people Christ is calling us to. And then the fourth next step, which makes all the other steps possible, continue to abide in Christ. Continue to abide in Christ. I can't do these things without a personal connection with Christ where day by day I connect with him. And when I get out of that pattern of connecting with him, I find myself getting into trouble. I find my old patterns starting to creep up again. Those old ways of doing things. Peter Scazzaro says, I am convinced that a significant reason so many Christian leaders lack the qualities Jesus modeled is because we skim in a relationship with God. Jesus intentionally got away from the crowd to have this one-on-one connection time with the Father. Was that the time that he got like regenerated and repowered up? Or was he just modeling for you and I what we need? Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I to him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words, abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Especially, especially if you're praying for your enemy. When you are facing your interacting with someone who's a Judas or a Peter, whether it's your boss, your coworker, your neighbor, teacher, these are painful experiences. And I don't wanna diminish that. These experiences will challenge us to our core. When you're falsely accused Or when people are just ungracious, maybe they're saying some true things, but they're just ungracious about it. Or all their actions seem to be working against what we're trying to get done, what we believe God has called us to, what we believe we're supposed to live out. And there's just this constant friction, this frustration. And that's what Jesus faced. He faced opposition everywhere he went. But how much harder is that opposition when it's in your midst? When it's people that you should be able to trust. It's people that you've spent hours with. Years. That you gave them your all. All. That'll challenge us. It challenges me. Are you going to be a person who finishes well? Not because of what the person across the counter says or does, not because of what your boss says or does, not because of the opposition you face, but because of your relationship. With Christ, and what you see Him doing, and you are trying to immolate His actions. And I love that John uses that word telos. Apostle Paul says that, forgetting what lies behind, I reach forward. I, I'm, I'm, I'm extending out like that telescope. I'm, ex- I'm trying to fully extend, live fully extended like Christ lived. I'm not there yet, but I'm striving for it. I'm striving to be like Christ. That's how we finish well.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.